July 11th, 2022, we're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Daf Sadiq Bet, Amud Bet. And if you count from where the lines widen upward, it's 12 lines up. The first word on the line, Ushmuel. The Gemara is still dealing with, in the eyes of the rabbis, who were those Asamot Hayeveshot? Well, who were those dry bones, which Yeheskel Hanavi in Perik Lamedzayin resuscitates, resurrects? Says the Gemara, we had several different opinions. Here's the opinion of Shemuel, each one of them having their own perspective, dimension, and lesson to be taught. So the opinion of Shemuel is, who were those asamot, who were those dry bones which were resurrected? It was uh, the individuals who were kofer bitchiyatametim, the people who claimed there won't be a future. The individuals who are of the opinion that their terrible, sorry state of ultimate exile was what they were destined for for eternity. There was nothing going to change. It was specifically those who Yehezkel now does Tchiyat HaMetim to. Says Rashi, but I thought if you're Kofir B'Tchiyat HaMetim, the assumption is you're not a part of this whole enterprise. Explains Rashi, maybe it's specifically, again, it's a one-time event. This is not the actual Tchiyat HaMetim, quote-unquote, that we refer to in the Tefillah every day in Mechayi Metim. This is not the Tchiyat HaMetim which is going to take place on the grand scale. This is a one-time event. Maybe, perhaps, it's specifically most uh, um, uh, uh, symbolic by taking the individuals who said, who maintained, there's no future and showing them the future. Maybe that was the best siman sign God could have performed at that time. That's not to say that's what to come. That's at that time what was most appropriate. What's the pasuk that cited? It's a pasuk that refers to all of Am Yisrael. And God, turning to Yechezkel during this time of the resurrection of these dry bones, says to him, you should know these bones represent all of Am Yisrael who negate, who look past the fact that there is a future. They say, They say we lost any hope and desire for the future. In turn, it's most appropriate for the people who stood for that by saying to be the ones who were resurrected. It's, it's Hashem resurrecting through Yechezkel. Yechezkel is propositioned to go there and to speak and to watch it happen. Not the way it's uh, described. Rabbi Yirmiya bar Abba Amar Elu b'nei Adam she'en lahem lachluchit shel misvah. Says Rabbi Yirmiya bar Abba, perhaps, quote-unquote, worse than the kofir b'tchiyat ha'metim. These were individuals who didn't even have lachluchit. Lach means moistness. Lachluchit means a little bit of moistness. They didn't even have a little bit of moistness of misvot, which means to say they were distant from Torah and misvot. And it was specifically those which, so to speak, God represents with her scale at this time, even those most distant from me, they're the ones who I yearn for, they're the ones I long for, they're the ones that will be resurrected. He cites a pasuk as well. Have these bones 
listen to the word of God, it seems to denote, it seems to demonstrate that they in the past had not listened to any words of God. These are the bones from the individuals who didn't listen to the bone of God, but to the words of God. That means to say that this next opinion, very much along the line, but beyond that line of Shimuel uh, that we mentioned earlier, represents in this moment, in the grander scheme of matters through an understanding of an understanding of God's connection to the people about an ultimate plan, about an opportunity to come to completion, even if we haven't yet. Continues the Gemara on Rebbeitz. Amazingly, Rebbeitz Haknafchas suggests that these individuals that Yechizkel was Mechayeh, are none other than the people that are described in Sefer Yechezkel as having entered the Hechal, entered the Mikdash, and drawn and, 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 uh, and put onto the walls of the Hechal pictures of Shekatsim and Remasim. Shekatsim and Remasim, Shemona Shirasim, there are eight types of these Shirasim, these are crawling creatures, Shekatsim along the same lines, insects and disgusting matters which the rabbis and the Torah seems to move us away from on a constant and consistent basis. As a matter of fact, the words in the Torah for disgust are Shaketz, Shaketz Shaketzenu, it's something that's you're distant from, something that you look at as being disgusting. That's what they drew on the walls of the Hechal, and it's specifically those. Not only did they scoff, did they negate the concept of Tchiyat HaMetim, not only did they not have Lachluchit Shel Mitzvah, it goes to the highest level, they were an abomination to God. They negated Him, they rebelled against Him by drawing these pictures. Why would they draw these pictures? It seems as if this was along the lines of Avodah Zarah. Well, those are the individuals. What's your uh, demonstration from the Pesukim? You have a remez in the Pesukim that it was them as opposed to any other. Shine Emar, as the Pasuk says, Yechezkel describes as he comes to this, uh, this valley. Va'avo, va'ere, v'hine kol tavnit remez u'behema sheket v'chol gilule bet Yisrael mechukeh so that's the pasuk with regards to when Yehezkel enters the Hechal and sees that the Hechal was drawn and uh, disgusted with this graffiti on the walls of Shekatsim and Remasim. And then the pasuk by Yehezkel, when he enters into this Giv'ah, when he goes into this valley, by the resurrection of Yehezkel, alehim. Saviv, Saviv. The common denominator in these two pesukim is those last two words, Saviv, Saviv. It's not a classic Gizera Shava where we have tradition to link them up, but it's rather looking in Sefer Yechezkel at that anomaly. Two places where he mentions the word Saviv, Saviv. Two places which are very much standing out, but specifically the suggestion of this opinion, the Gemara is, they stand out because they're linked one to the other. How they linked one to the other? So to speak, the individuals whom he was resurrecting are the ones who were involved in that wrongdoing then. Why, again, most appropriate for these to be the ones who were resurrected? Think about the time period. It's Am Yisrael at a time period during which they're looking to one another, they're turning to their prophet, to their leaders and saying, it's over. Look, God gave up on us. We don't have a chance. We're on our way to exile. We're never going to see anything more. The demonstration, or rather the prophecy which Yehoshkel has and repeats to the people is, you see, even the lowest of you guys, even the ones who were most distant from God, even the ones who were spitting at God, even those, 
he will and has resurrected. That's the vision, that's the description of each of these opinions over here. Of course, in turn to today, less uh, you know, imminent with regards to its import at a time during which we have Eretz Israel, at a time during which we're settling it, certainly we have our enemies, but to go no further back than, I don't know, 80 years ago, this type of message to a people, to a nation at the time, who felt as if they were and were being persecuted, as if they were forsaken by God, it's this sort of message. You would turn to them and you'd say, I had a prophecy again, if it was true, about the guy that drove up to the Knis on Shabbat, walked in and spat at the Hechal. He was the one who had Tahiyat HaMetim. That's the type of imagery which is being portrayed over here. God is still with us. God still has a plan over here and don't give up on it too soon. The last opinion here, that of Rabbi Yohanan, who will take us on a whole journey now through the story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who will take us on an entire journey with regards to what took place during this time period as explicit in the Pesukim and as Masoret or Derashot of the Chachamim were to have it. It's the dead people from Bik'at Dura. Bik'at, again, is a valley. Dura is the name of the valley. Who are these individuals, these dead people in Bik'at Dura? And in turn, why is it significant that Yehezkel was resurrecting them? Ve'amar Hanan, he'll now help us with another statement of his. Minahar Eshel Ad Rabbat. From these two coordinates, one being Nahar Eshel and the other being Rabbat, you know, like saying from uh, Allenhurst to Eatontown, Bik'at Dura. The space in between is referred to as Bik'at Dura. Okay, well, what happened over there? Shebesha'ah, Shehegla Nebuchadnezzar Harasha'at Israel. At the time that Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king of Babel at that time period, Heglait Israel, when he began the exile of Am Israel, when he was bringing the people out of Israel, Hayubahen Bahurin. They, of course, had many young men, but specifically young men, You know how beautiful these young men were? The sun paled in comparison to them. They would make the sun look ugly compared to their beauty. I guess that was once a way of referring to beauty. Anyway, it means they were really good looking. They were very handsome. And the locals, the Kastiot, this other nation which was attached to Babel at that time period, working for them, uh, looked at these young Yisrael men, Yehudi men, and turned to their husband, but before they turned to their husband, rather, they were Shofot Zavot. Shofot Zavot means they would have all sorts of uh, discharge because of their loss, their desire for these good-looking men. They'd have a, a natural discharge, which is describing for us, from the female standpoint, this infatuation with these young men. They told their husbands, either they told the husbands about what was taking place to them biologically, or they tell their husbands, there are these beautiful young men amongst Israel, their, son, their husbands who feel threatened by these young Jewish men, go and tell the king. Can you imagine? They're these young men. What are we going to do with them? Our, our, uh, our wives are so interested in them, just watching them and obsessing over them. The king commands his people, that's Nebuchadnezzar, and he kills these good-looking young men. But the women are still looking at them, maybe dead, the corpses, 
but they're still beautiful. And as a result, they're still having these bodily discharge because of their uh, desire for these young Jewish men. So the king, as a result, commands, says the Gemara, for those young men's corpses to be trampled, to be decimated, to be turned into dust and dirt. And nobody's going to look at them and have any desire any longer. That, in the eyes of Rabbi Yohanan, based on apparently his tradition, that's Bik'at Dura. That's this place, that's these individuals who are now not even real bones any longer. The bones, to a certain extent, have been trampled and decimated, destroyed. It's those people, that circumstance, which that's the description, the understanding of the Gemara over here. That's Rabbi Yohanan's opinion. You have to understand the context to understand, in turn, the significance of what Rabbi Yohanan described. Rabbi Yohanan then describes not only beings, people who were shortly beforehand buried, not only people who died a natural death, maybe were rotten people in their lifetime, people who were literally decimated, rimasum, the ones that everybody was aware of, the ones that the king was out to take us down with, and he did. Those people, Yehezkel is resurrecting. You couldn't find a better sign for the hope for the future than that. You're taking the individual who was brutally destroyed, killed by force of the kingdom, and without any chance and hope for the future, for there nothing wrong that they did, and saying, that's the one whom I'm resuscitating, resurrecting, that's a pretty big deal. He's taken it to a whole other level. But now that we're talking about Bikatura, now that we've referred to the wrongdoings of Nebuchadnezzar, it's time, it's opportunity, says the Gemara, to develop this and talk about other things that took place over there, based on the Pesukim and Daniel, based on the traditions and legends of the rabbis. Tanur Rabbanan Aberaita Besha'a Shehipil Nebuchadnezzar Harasha Et Hanania Mishael Va'azariah Lekivshan Ha'esh uh, so at the time when Nebuchadnezzar Harasha, this same king of Babel, at the time that he's mapil, the time that he throws in Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah into the Kivshan Ha'esh, into the furnace of fire. All right, so before I'm, I'm in the middle of a sentence, but we're going to read in just a moment or two about how, based on tradition, it's in the same place where these individuals were trampled. So you're placing these two stories in the same proximity, both in terms of context and time. So it's at the same time that Nebuchadnezzar has taken those good-looking young men and trampled and destroyed them, decimated them. He takes as well Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they're thrown into a furnace of fire. This is Pesukim Mefurashim in Sefer Daniel. What took place during this time period was Sanherev has a large 60 amot pe, uh, um, idol which he erects and his command is when we play the instruments, when we have the music go off at the appropriate moment, everyone, all my kings, all my ministers, and there's a long list similar to uh, Megillat Esther, of all the rankings, officials, we'll see it in a moment or two, were to bow down to this idol. And of course, all listen on the, at the given moment except for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The punishment in turn of Sanherev is take these three men, throw them into a, a furnace, fiery furnace, of fi- uh, and, and have them die in front of everyone. You, I keep saying Sanherev, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar, I keep saying Sanherev, 
Not the first time, Jesse. I remember the last time I did it, and you caught me on it as well. Thank you very much. Nebuchadnezzar, as a result, so scratch the records, make sure it's all edited out. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, as a result, has them thrown in, and you know the aftermath. They don't die, and it is uh, a moment of uh, absolute Kiddush Hashem, where God's name is really glorified and sanctified to the eyes of, literally, all the important people of that time period. Okay. Anyway, here, back to the Beraita. Tanur Rabbanan Besha'ah Shehipil Nebuchadnezzar HaRasha'et Hanan. Would you know it? The timing in the eyes of this Beraita is perfect. At the very moment that, it looks like it can't get worse. These three important Jews are thrown into the furnace and it looks like all is lost. God has Yechazkel resurrecting the bones that were trampled and decimated in that same place. And of course, the aftermath then of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah will shine forth even greater. But it means it's the perfect timing. At the moment that the man enters into the knees with the, the, to, to tell us on Shabbat that they're closing down the synagogue and taking us out to slaughter, it's at that very same moment that your grandfather walks through the door, your grandfather whom you haven't seen uh, passed away 100 years ago. It doesn't look all that bad any longer. It's a way of almost... Uh, uh, um, teaching and instructing to have a lo- bro- longer and broader vision. Okay, anyway, once uh, Yehezkel does resurrect them, those bones uh, come, uh, they return, and they are tapehu. Tapehu means they are hitting Nebuchadnezzar uh, HaRasha on his head. Is that physical and literal? I mean, is the whole Midrash physical and literal? Not fully certain, but certainly the description. What's the significance? The significance is, uh, in the scheme of things, do you really think you're about to pull this off? Because look at what's taking place. As you scheme, look at how it's being foiled right in front of your eyes. Amar asks Nebuchadnezzar, What's the nature of these? Uh, who, who are these? What are these bones? Uh, the friend of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, meaning Yehezkel, oh, he's in the middle of being Mehayemetim, in Bikat Dura. He's in the middle of resurrecting. He's in the middle of bringing back to death. You think that you're killing these guys while their friend is bringing back to life. And as a result, in that moment, says the Midrash, Patah ve'amar, Nebuchadnezzar HaRasha's mouth opens up and says, Atohi kema ravrevin, the otot, we know this because we say it at the end of Vatit Palel Hana, either every morning or on Shabbat or once a year or at some point in our lives. In Vatit Palel Hana, at the end, we read this pasukah, it's from Daniel, Perek Gimal, Atohi, the otot, the signs of God, how great are them? This is Nebuchadnezzar's words. As a matter of fact, in the Pesukim, it's what he sends to the people. How great they are. And his ways, his wonders, look how strong they are. Look how wondrous they are. His kingdom, the kingship of God. Is an eternal uh, kingship. And his shilton his uh, ministering over existence is for every generation. So those are the words of the Nebuchadnezzar. Again, 
prior to, in the eyes of this Beraita, in the eyes of the Hachamim, to the, resur- to, to the uh, emergence of Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah. Before they even come out of the furnace, the Bukhanesar sees the writing on the wall because he's already hearing about the resurrection of other dead that he uh, had set into motion. Amarabi Yitzhak Yusak Zahav Roteach Letoch Piv Shel Rasha. Uh, so the, the statement now uh, goes as follows of Rabbi Yitzhak. Yusak Zahav Roteach, I wish. It should only be that Zahav Roteach, Zahav is, is gold, it's a type of metal, of course, Roteach means it's burnt. So if you have molten gold, which you're pouring down the throat of someone, you're killing them in a gruesome and terrible way. Should, should, we, I wish we, uh, we, we poured it down the throat, or, or it should only be poured down the throat of that wicked person. You mean Nebuchadnezzar. Why are you getting angry at him in this context? You should know his words then, uh, in that moment of Atoi Kemar Avrevin and so forth, were the tip of the iceberg, says Rabbi Yitzhak, of what he was able to and wanted to say about the greatness of God. Of course, this is a moment of Rabbi Yitzhak, so to speak, for us, you know, when we see the people of the world praising God in a way that we only wish we could. So it's almost that sort of expression. He's looking at the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar's words in that moment, and being embarrassed, we can't come close to that. He says, I wish that we burnt his throat out. Had it not been that, so to speak, an angel in the eyes of the Hachamim Masech Pesachim, Gavriel came and slapped him on the face, shut him up, kept his mouth closed. Nebuchadnezzar would have outdone, and he would have outshined any of the shirot v'tishpachot, any of the songs and praises of David HaMelech and Tehillim, meaning in that moment Nebuchadnezzar saw it and was expressing it about God and his greatness and his glory better than even David ever could have or would have. It's a certain musar for us to be able to learn from those around us in ways that we sometimes can better than when we look at even our own. Tanu Rabbanan, a beraita. The beraita now goes on to what the Gemara will call Gemara. It'll refer to as a Masoret. There's a tradition amongst the rabbis that not only did this miracle of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which we mentioned, which is explicit in the Pesukim and Daniel, take place at that time, that they are thrown into this furnace and emerge intact unscathed, but furthermore, there were six other miracles that took place at that time. It's, so to speak, the, uh, you know, the, the foil, the contrast to what we have in a week from now on Sunday on Shiva Asa Tammuz, we have a tradition that all these terrible things took place at the same time period. So here's all the miracles. First and foremost, Saf HaKivshan, that furnace of fire, Saf. Lasuf means to hover, it hovered above. Why would it hover upward? So that the people could see what was taking place in it, so that there were no mysteries. Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah are in there and they're unscathed. Nothing's happened to them, they're not getting burnt. And you can see it with your own eyes. It's not down and out of vision sight. Furthermore, there was a, uh, a, a breach in that furnace, again, so that people could see in, be able to peer in and see what's taking place in there to behold the miracle of God. And the Yesod, says Rashi, the, uh, the base, the bottom of the, uh, of the furnace was let in a little bit. It began to melt out. 
and the, the idol that Nebuchadnezzar, which, which is where it all began, had erected for the people and the ministers and great people to bow to, it fell down on its face. Of course, this all magnifies the miracle and gives a certain vision of God in that moment. V'nisrefu arba malchuyot, and four kingships, four important individuals in that, uh, in that Nebuchadnezzar kingdom were burnt in the place of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We'll see that in a few moments. It's the individuals who ratted out, who told on Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who didn't bow to the Salem, and who in turn were the ones who were bringing them and throwing them into the furnace. Instead of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah being burnt, and this is a diuk in the Pesukim, they themselves were burnt. And lastly, this last one is the time of the resurrection of Yehezkel, of these... Uh, Asamot, which is where our discussion in the Gemara began, at that same po- point, in that uh, same circumstance. Vikunhu, five of these six, Gemara. That's Gemara. Gemara in this context, we learned it. We received it based on tradition. It's not Mefurash, it's not even Nirmaz in Pesukim. I know the, the Asamot of, of Yechezkel is in the Pesukim, but we don't know that it took place during that time period exactly. That's the tradition. However, Arba Malchuyot Kera. If you read carefully, say the rabbis in the Pesukim, the Arba Malchuyot, those four ministers that they died instead of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that is Kera. You can find that in the Pasuk. How do you find that in the Pasuk? Now this old Aramaic is going to be a little hard for me. I'm going to try to read this from the uh, Pesukim on the page. The Pesukim describe the individuals who were there bowing to this idol. And the Pasuk says, Unibuchadnezar malkash shelach lemichnash. Lemichnash means to gather. So Unibuchadnezar sends to gather. Leachashtar panya. Right, we know that word. That's uh, ministers from Migilat Esteb. But now we have lots of other words for ministers and different types of rankings. Of course, you'd refer to it today as the senators, the congressmen, uh, the assemblymen, and so forth. Signaya, and that's Milashon Segan. Segan means like, you know, a second in command, but another top official. Upahavata, that's a third one. Adargazraya, that's another one. Gedavraya, uh, yet another. Detavraya, Tiftaye, Vechol Shiltone, Medinata. Okay, so that's a lot of reference says to the high-ranking officials of the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. All right, so what are we doing with these? Well, so it continues the Gemara, Uchtiv, and then the Pasuk describes afterwards, Itai Guvrin Yehudain, that uh, these, uh, these individuals turn to Nebuchadnezzar and they say, these Jewish individuals, these Yehudain, you know what they did? They didn't bow down. Okay, so that's the ratting out. And here's the key line, Uchtiv, and then the Pasuk, which says, when all is said and done, Umitkaneshin, they were gathered, Achashtar Panya, we know those. That was the first one that was mentioned before. Signaya, that's the ones that were mentioned immediately afterwards. Upahavata, and then there's a third one. What happened to all the other ones? There were four more. There were seven ranking officials mentioned the first time, this time just three. Seven minus three, of course, is four. Say the Hachamim, says our tradition, based on this diukin in the Pesukim. You know what happened? So Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were ratted out by these four officials. They were brought by these four officials at the command of Nebuchadnezzar to be thrown in. 
instead of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah being burnt, they were burnt instead. That's the derasha here of the Hachamim. Of course, the, yes? He ends up making well, already that statement, Atoi Kemar Avrevim Vetimoi Kemar Takifin, may have been the beginning of it. The Midrash goes even further, not over here, but you already see it a little bit in that statement. You see that statement in Sefer Daniel. Those are his words in Sefer Daniel. And the Gemara will have a little bit more about his quote-unquote Teshuvah. Taneh Devet Rebili Ezer Ben Yaakov. There's a teaching from Rebili Ezer Ben Yaakov. Afil B'Sha'at HaSakana. He says, let's learn a very baseline and simple message. All right, we're not all going to be able to be thrown into a furnace in our lifetimes or afterwards. We're not all going to be able to behold miracles of God. We're hopefully not all going to have to be uh, threatened by persecution. However, there's something that we might all come in contact with, and that is we might all have to go up against people who don't like us, and we'll have to be in situations where there are people that are surrounding us that don't want good for us, and they're perhaps looking for our evil to fall upon us. How do you dress the part in that circumstance? Quite literally, what do you wear when you're facing trial, tribulation, tribulation in your life? In moments of uncertainty, do you then let down on your garb? Do you then wear tattered clothing, less, uh, less, less befitting of your position because you're showing and exposing your vulnerability? Or when you're up against the wall, you're standing strong with regards to what you know to be true and who you are. The statement from Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah is if you read the Pesukim, the description of what they see in the furnace is not only are the people alive, but their tunic, their hat, their clothing is all intact as well, which means Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, in a moment in which they're literally facing death, they're still wearing their fine clothing that shows who they are. They still have a certain pride. Says Rashi, and we'll read the whole statement, the Gemara in a second. You know, in a very natural sense, how you fight the fight, not only with your might, but also with your composure, also, also with the way that you show your confidence. And if you don't have that confidence, fake the confidence with the clothing, says the Gemara, even during times of danger, I suggested from others, Rabbanuchelo is a reference not to your rabbis, but rather to your clothing, to your fine clothing, to your fine statured clothing. Fascinating question. Says Charles, let me finish the dirasha. Shine Imar, and then, then I'll deal with your question. Give me one second. Shine Imar, Badayin Guvraya Ilech Kefitu Besarbalehon. So the Pasuk describes the Karbalaton. The Pasuk describes how the clothing was seen by the people on Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And it's a graphic description of the clothing. It's not just their clothing. It's their fine clothing, their tunic, their hat, and so on and so forth. What about Mordechai? So I will contrast Mordechai for you, Charles, to Esther. Very importantly, because that, that very much, I didn't plan this, but I'm glad we, we led into this. Mordechai, the Pasuk, describes when he finds out about the decree of, what's that? He puts sack. He puts He rends his clothing and he's wearing sack and cloth and he's putting ashes on his head. And Esther, being alarmed by what happened, sends, from, sends Hatak to find out, what, okay, that's, that's, that's what takes place over there. Uh, says Charles, you see, in a moment of sakana, in a moment of sorrow and agony, Mordechai does rend his clothing. However, however, at the turning point of the Megillah, 
the contrast, the foil to that is when Esther, who was not called by the king, on the Yom HaShelishi, Vatilbash Esther Malchut. Pasuk goes out of its way to tell you how she's wearing her fine royal clothing. Of course she is. She's a queen. The Pasuk is telling you specifically this point. She's dressing the part. Instead of walking in and groveling, instead of walking in and kissing his feet, she walks in with a certain pride. She knows she's in danger. She knows this is what she needs to do. It's exactly this message as well. Says the Gemara, lastly, Amar Biohanan Gidolim Sadikim Yotel you should know to a certain extent the righteous ones are greater than angels. We will return in just a moment. First, the proof to the, uh, to the, to, to the idea of that statement that they're greater. These are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you want to know what I see inside there? I see Guvrin. Like Gever, men, Arbea, four men. I thought there were three. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Am I missing something? Shirayim, they're not chained. Share, Shiruyim Lachem means to be free. They're freed up, they're unchained. Mehalechim Bechonura, they're walking around inside of the fire. Vahaval La Itai Behon, and there's no Hevel, there's no rope which is tying them up. Continues the pasuk. It says, "Vereve di revi'aa dama lebar elahim." And then there's a description of a fourth one. So it means you have three, and then a fourth one. Wait a second. Who's the fourth one? Who's the fourth one? The description of this fourth one in the eyes of the rabbis is, and maybe in the pesukim, I mean, is some sort of angelic feature. Some sort of angel, Gavriel, according to tradition. Wait a second, let's try to understand that then. The description is that not only are there the three, but there's the fourth one, describing him already in the eyes of Rabbi Yohanan as the fourth one, the angel as the fourth one, instead of the first one, that he, so to speak, tagging along with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, gives us the vision, gives us that vantage point of Maybe he's less important than them. It means human beings. It means the righteous ones are more important than the angels. That's a crazy statement. How could you make such a claim? I've on more than one occasion returned to the following thought. Harambam famously writes in his Moreh Nebuchim at somewhat of a length that the angels are where we want to be. The angels who are stripped away from any physicality are greater than human beings. Someone like Rabbi Meir Ibn, uh, Ibn Gabay. Rabbi Meir Ibn Gabay in his book Avodat HaKodesh disagrees. He's got a long treat, treatise in which he disagrees with Harambam and he says it's not so. Human beings are greater. Like a true Kabbalist, human beings are greater than the angels. Says Nefesh Hayim about 120, 140 years ago in his book Nefesh in his book Nefesh HaHayim, in Sha'ar Aleph, in Perek Yod, he says, I'm going to make peace between these two worlds, that of the rationalist Harambam and that of the mystic Rabbi Meir bin Gabay. He says, here's how, I'll, here's how I'll resolve this. He says, in terms of capacity, in terms of uh, essence, I can't disagree that essence is to the angels. That's what Harambam's talking about. Harambam is talking about an individual or individuals who are stripped away from physical impediments. You can't say that there's anything greater with regard to that. However, with regards to potential, with regards to capacity, 
with regards to the freedom of choice which can bring forth something beyond when I'm stuck on a specific vertical line as quote-unquote the angels are. Well, that's what human beings said. So certainly human beings in terms of their essence are hello, but in terms of their potential, well, they have that potential to become. It's most appropriate then. Our Gemara, our Gemara in the context of Kiddush Hashem, Kiddush Hashem by definition means stepping out of line. If you're just walking the straight path, that's not a Kiddush Hashem path. Kiddush Hashem means going above and beyond. It's not just walking straight and doing what I'm supposed to do. It means even during the times of adversity, even during times of difficulty, even giving up a body, which a quote-unquote an angel doesn't have, that's something specific to the human beings. So the statement in turn in the Gemara, it's not one which negates Harambam, it only complements Harambam. Harambam talks about the essence of human beings versus the essence of angels. The Gemara over here, much along the lines of Avodat Kodesh, much along the lines of Nefesh HaChayim, describes for us the potential of human beings. You and I have a potential, specifically because we are physical, particularly because we have freedom of choice, we have challenges, the opportunity to overcome challenges, to take something in this world and transform it, find within it the latent sanctity and holiness, that's something only human beings have. That's the Gedolim Sadikim Yoter Mimalachi Asharet. That's what was demonstrated in real life by Halanya Mishael Nazariah Baruch Adonai Amen ve